all right, we're going to meet at, at Cantor or Bellagio or Revere or wherever uh, at this time. And then we'd all show up, climb over the fence. It was like a skateboarding party, I guess you could say, <laughs> except it wasn't fully legal. <laughs> this is The Replay, Sports on the Big Screen, a podcast about the greatest sports movies of all time. I'm your host, Bruce Murray. It was the mid-70s in Santa Monica, California. A group of kids put together a skate team known as the Z-Boys. What began as a hobby to pass the time soon turned into something much bigger. A cultural shift that changed the course of skateboarding forever. Without the Z-Boys, there would be no Tony Hawk. There would be no X Games. This is the story of Lords of Dogtown. Released in 2005, this coming-of-age movie predominantly follows three of the soon-to-be-famous Z-Boys... Jay Adams, Tony Alva, and Stacy Peralta. Along with finding fame as a skateboarder, Stacy would go on to write the screenplay for Lords of Dogtown, as well as the 2001 documentary Dogtown and Z Boys. Dogtown and Z Boys was a way for Stacy to show Hollywood that he was worthy of putting the Z Boys story on the big screen as a feature film. Furthermore, Stacy wanted to write the script himself to ensure he was portrayed how he wanted to be portrayed and he wasn't going to sign over the rights to his story otherwise. Here's Nathan Pratt, one of the original members of Z-Boys and Stacy's childhood friend. Stacy, Tony, Jay were the big marquee skater guys, and Stacy was trying to get into the movie business. And he had gotten into some television. I actually got him his first television gig. I did a TV show for Nickelodeon called um, Skate TV, and I brought him in to work on that. He, but he had never done anything movie-wise. And the producer said, you know, who are you, kid? You know, we're not going to hire you to write a script. And Stacey said, well, you know, unless you hire me, you don't have my life rights. So then uh, they said, well, thanks, but no thanks. So then Stacey went out and uh, very rapidly put together the documentary, gathered everybody up. It was kind of like a big, giant team event, you know, this documentary. Everybody went to their garage, got all the old movies, all the old pictures, all the old stuff. And then, um, then we put that together. And that ended up being a very big hit. Dogtown and Z-Boys was so well-received that it won the Audience Award and the Directing Award for the Documentary Category at Sundance. Here's Victor Rasik, who plays the aforementioned Tony Alva in Lords of Dogtown. When I saw the documentary with Sean Penn narrating it, I was just, just like many people, I was just so like enamored by just how we like the story wasn't as uh, known as it should have been, you know? And I think it just the story of these guys kind of a young coming of age story for all three guys and how much they revolutionized skateboarding. I was more just so into that, like just that concept. After the success of Dogtown and Z boys, both Columbia and TriStar pictures trusted Stacy Peralta enough to hire him as the writer of Lords of Dogtown. Here's Nathan. So uh, at that time I told Stacy, I go, Hey, you know, I'll help you write this script because I was at the surf shop, six days a week since it opened from the day it opened till the day it closed, you know, I saw everything. Right. And then Stacy went, no, I want to do it myself. And uh, so he did to tell you the truth. He was supposed to show me the script after he wrote it. Cause I said, okay, do whatever you want to do. Great. Show it to me. If I hate it, just cut me out, leave me out of the whole thing. You know, I don't need to be in it. It's not going to affect my life. I'm not in the business. So um, then I never heard from him for about 10 years. From childhood friends to not speaking for 10 years? What was it that caused such a dramatic falling out? He just didn't like the fact that I 
rocked the boat about some of the stuff that went wrong on this documentary project with Vans. And I, and I think he just, you know, Stacy's always been about business. He's definitely all about business and first things first. The Vans being the popular shoe company that played a predominant part in the documentary. Early in the production, everyone involved in the documentary was told that the project would not be an ad for Vans tennis shoes, but that's exactly what it ended up being. Because of this, Nathan made Vans pay everybody who was involved in the documentary because up until this point, everyone was participating in the project for free. Stacy did not like this at all. Anyone that complained about the Vans thing with the documentary was kicked to the curb. Basically, if you want to kind of get down to like who was in and who was out. So if you, as long as you didn't complain, okay. If you had ever said anything negative, then you're out. Whatever. You know, it's, it's like, it reminded me of like a... Uh, kindergarten squabble you know it's like really and this squabble shaped the story of lords of dogtown peggy Oki was the only woman in the original z-boys lineup unlike nathan who was never approached by the production team about obtaining the rights to his story peggy did have an offer but she declined here's peggy there were some restrictions to the offer that i did not agree to that it, it wasn't so much about the money it was about because of, as I'm saying about this fame and celebrity status, there are a lot of people that, that contact me still and say, Oh, you're such an inspiration. You're my biggest inspiration, all that kind of thing. And at the time that Dogtown and Z Boys had been released, there are kids and I was skating at the park locally. And there are kids that would see me and recognize me and they'd like have this look in their eyes of awe. And, and I just thought of those kids and I thought, you know, I want to have a positive influence. I don't want to be depicted in a way that I have no control over. And that's what would have happened with this film if I agreed to their terms, which they were unwilling to budge on. And to me, it's not okay for to promote the use of drugs or promiscuity and behavior. So Nathan Pratt, Peggy Oki, and Wenzel Rummel were all out, but the film's production continued. Originally, Limp Biscuit frontman Fred Durst was in line to direct the film. Then when that fell through, the great David Fincher was set to take over the responsibilities. But he pulled out to work on a different project, leaving Catherine Hardwick, director of 13 and the first Twilight movie, to take the reins. Victor Rasek. You know, Catherine uh, flew me out to L.A. I was living, you know, I'm born and raised in New York. I was living in New York at the time. And she made me, you know, she was like, hey, listen, you got to lose the accent. You got to learn how to skate, learn how to skateboard, but I got to see how much you really want to do this. So I'm going to link you up with Tony, the real Tony Alva, and I'm going to see how you guys hit it off. Being thrown into this world was a little daunting for Victor, but he was willing to do whatever it took to make his performance as accurate as possible. He's kind of a hardcore personality. Like he's just really intense. And I think that if I could pass that first week with him, just him teaching me and me taking in, she wasn't expecting me to be, a Tony Alva overnight, but she just wanted to see that if I was going to be able to survive that one week with him. And that means every day with him, him teaching me as much as possible and me being able to take his direction without being so intimidated. Once Victor was able to acclimate to the ways of Dogtown, as the area of Santa Monica and Venice is referred to by locals, it was time to begin production. Emil, particularly Emil and I, I mean, John was also, John Robinson, who played Stacey Peralta, but Emil Hirsch, who played Jay Adams and myself, we had a really 
healthy yet competitive uh, relationship on that movie. We, you know, we were both coming off of some, you know, you know, movies at the time. And, you know, we were young actors. Again, it's, it actually kind of like life imitating art, right? Because like Tony and Jay and Stacy, right? They were competing with each other. But Emil, John and I were coming off these really cool indie movies and we were kind of wanting to outperform each other. And I think that's what pushed us to, to be better and better and wanting to learn how to uh, go over the, the, the pool light. So every, every time we were on a new set, we would always try to push ourselves to see who would go over the light first. This $25 million film about a bunch of kids revolutionizing the skateboarding scene made just over $5 million in its opening weekend. It would stay in the cinemas for just three more weeks, grossing a total of only $11 million. It's so funny because people, I mean, I think so many people have seen it way after the fact. And that usually happens with movies and television shows, right? Like people catch on to certain things way later. It's been 17 years since the film was released. And since then, it has certainly cemented itself as a cult classic. It scores over 7 on IMDb, over 3.5 on Letterboxd. So what does original Z-Boy Nathan Pratt think? I mean, my initial reaction when I saw the movie was that it was just a lost opportunity. And uh, I still feel the same way. But, you know, I mean, fundamentally, you know, biggest picture is that this really is a great, great story. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's sad that it ended up being kind of a fluff piece, you know. What exactly does Nathan mean by this? Well, let's get into it. In the movie, we see the creation of the team come about when a character named Frank Nasworthy, played by the late, great Mitch Hedberg, introduces Skip Engblom, played by Heath Ledger, to urethane skateboard wheels. He explains that these wheels allow skaters to do the same hard turns on a skateboard that they can do on a surfboard. In reality, however, these wheels came out years before the skateboard team was created. It was not the catalyst for them forming whatsoever. Then, in the movie when the group goes out to test the wheels, Skip comes up with the idea that they should start a skate team. Pablo Schreiber, who plays Craig Stesic, the photojournalist responsible for capturing a lot of the images and videos in Dogtown and Z-Boys, agrees. As he says in the film, there's more concrete in the world than surf breaks. In real life, it wasn't Skip that came up with the idea, though. It was Nathan who brought the idea to Skip. And Skip said, okay, we can do it. I said, great. They didn't have a skateboard company. There's no, it wasn't happening. The only Zephyr skateboard in the whole world was one that I had made for myself out of a wood and I resined on a Zephyr sticker. Nathan was an incredibly important part of the Z-Boy story. So without his involvement in the film or the involvement of the face of the shop, Jeff Ho, the whole dynamic of the group was off. It was the Jeff Ho shop, and there's no Jeff Ho in the movie. And Jeff Ho was the rock star, not Skip. So they took and put all of Jeff Ho's characteristics into the Skipper character, right? Skip actually was the one trying to keep it together, kind of run the business, trying to keep everything going. And Jeff was the wild and crazy guy who was loaded all the time. So that was obviously changes all the, all the relational triangles. And the guy running the shop wasn't me. It was some other character, not even, you know. I mean, Sid was me mashed up with another guy. In filmmaking, this is known as the composite character, in which one character embodies the traits of multiple real-life people. Sometimes, as we see in Rudy, it can be used to simplify the story. Other times, like with Lords of Dogtown, it's used more for financial reasons. 
taking me and chopping me up into bits and pieces and spreading me around also kind of changed the dynamic because you really had this Skip and Jeff thing going on. It was almost like a father-mother relationship, you know, Skip the mom and Jeff's the crazy dad. And then I'm like the kid kind of watching it all in the shop. And then Stacy was my buddy and I brought him in. And he didn't have to fight to get on the team or, you know, all, any of that stuff at all. He was in like Flint from the get-go, right? He was an original member. Even after the group was formed, Stacy never really hung out with Jay and Tony, as we see in the film. Tony and Stacy were oil and water. Those guys never buddied up on anything, ever. The, you know, Tony, Stacy, Jay sitting at the same place at the same time, that never happened. So the Tony and Stacy dynamic could have been, I think, brought out much more. It was very competitive and kind of black knight, white knight thing, you know, as time went. The movie also makes it seem like this specific group of kids were the first to ever skate in an empty pool. As Nathan explains, this is far from the truth. People had skateboarded pools in the 60s, too. We weren't the first guys to do it. But the drought, obviously, suddenly there's just this giant, you know, inventory of places you could go skate, right? And we were trying to do surf stuff. You know, our whole thing was we're doing surfing on skateboarding. So you want to do it off the lip in a pool. That's the perfect place, right? Later in the movie, we see a recreation of what was known as the Dog Bowl, where the now famous trio of Stacy, Tony, and Jay gather together for one last skate in an empty pool. This timeline, as Nathan explains, is way off. The Dino dog bowl thing happened later. Like the team was together. The team actually broke apart because the factory that was making the Zephyr boards caused that. And then, um, and then the whole team splintered up into different companies, you know, guys getting picked off by everybody later after that, like in 76. And then by the end of 76, everybody was mega famous. And then the dog bowl thing happened. And that was the coming together of everybody again. All these guys that have gone off and become stars, you know, on their own, Tony, Stacy, everybody, everybody. Suddenly we're all back again, just skating in the bowl like the old days. And that didn't really come out in the movie. You have to realize that by 77, I had started, the, the Zephyr shop closed in 76. Jeff Ho went out of business in 76. I took over and started getting my shop organized, and I opened up in, in May of 77. The dog bowl stuff was in the September 77 was Tony getting the air. In fact, one of my employees, my first employee was there that day, and he came back and told me, Nathan, Tony just did this amazing thing at the dog bowl. You know, great, you know. So what about the film's portrayal of Dogtown itself? Did the film capture the roughness of the area successfully? It was grittier than what they showed. Much grittier. I mean... Uh, when the, when the sun went down in the beach in Venice, Seaside Crips took over. And V13 was alive and well back then. You know, I mean, the gang stuff was still very active, you know. And it was still poor. I mean, people were renting places for 100 bucks a month. So it's not like it is now where it's multi-million dollar homes, you know. And, yeah, I saw people get beat up all the time. My brother and I got jumped on um, Venice Canals one time. And, you know, yeah, you had to be careful. Peggy's biggest issue with the film is how it portrayed Jay Adams' mother, Felaine, played by Rebecca de Mornay. Felaine, I thought, was a very caring, loving, supportive mother of Jay, and she was depicted in that realm a bit, but I felt like her character was also depicted kind of like, um, uh, you know, kind of a sob story. De Mornay's performance was certainly more of a hapless, spaced-out mother who had trouble caring for herself and her family than an independent nurturing woman. And I didn't think of her as that at all. At all. And I hung out with them a bit because um, her, her partner at the time, Kent and, um, and Felaine, they would sometimes 
be with us at the state skate contests and stuff. And yeah, I didn't get that that feeling about her at all as depicted in the in the film. You know, the thing that got right was the general wild child vibe. Like that was true. You know, we had 12 basically alpha skaters, right? And we were a wolf pack. A wolf pack that loved jumping from house to house and skating in empty pools. Well, I can remember the first pool that we all used to go to. It was called Birdbath. It was in Brentwood. It was an abandoned house and it was an empty pool in the back. And we used to have to climb down the mountain to get to it. So you're going through the bushes in the mountain. It, that, you know, that whole thing was real. And then we skated there and it was kind of a, a shallow kind of a pool, you know? That's why we called it Birdbath. I mean, it was definitely a thing because we had big numbers and we showed up and every guy was a dominator. You know, it, that was kind of a thing. Um, and they got the impact at the Del Mar contest when we went to that first big contest, right? And that really truly was a changing, uh, a changing of the garden skateboarding because you had the older guys who were like teenagers back in the 60s, like 65 was the last big peak, right? So here we are 10 years later. So all the 15-year-olds then were now 25 now, you know, Bruce Logan, Russ Howe, these guys. And they were still in the 60s. And we come in and we were the teenagers and we were doing the Larry Bertelman surfing style, right? So that big shift really was in one weekend, that was it. Everything just changed. Another aspect of the film that Nathan thought captured reality was the acting performances of Heath Ledger and Emil Hirsch. I think uh, Emil captured Jay. Jay really had that kind of impulse control issues, you know, which is why he got in trouble. And Skip, you know, was kind of, uh, you know, hustling a little bit. Um, the kid who played Sid, uh, he really did look like me. I was blown away when I saw his face. I went, oh, my God. I could have pulled out my high school picture and go, there it is, you know. This period of time in the mid to late 70s defined the generation. The group of young people who experienced this skating renaissance together have formed a bond that would link them together for the rest of their lives. I mean, we, we were a group of kids. I mean, we were teenagers, you know. We were seniors in high school or younger. I mean, at the time, we didn't realize this, but now, in historical, you know, retrospective, we um, had a major impact on society and culture. And that kind of change doesn't come along very often. And when you're part of that, um, it really is a unique experience. It was almost like a, in a way, a foundation to my life that it, I really made sure that I was having fun going skateboarding with the team and, and skating the pool, the, the banks at the schools. And at the same time, I was studying field zoology, marine biology at Santa Monica City College and that, and becoming very interested. I was also learning to surf became very interested in the behavior of dolphins and whales. And that pretty much is what I'm still doing now. I'm still surfing and feeling the connection with dolphins and whales and, and have been now over 40 years an activist for dolphins and whales because they inspire me so much and I want to give back to them. So that, that period of my life was truly a foundation. Also, as I said, also prioritizing that you've got to have fun and that's really important have fun, exercise every day. Some of us on the team, including Jay Adams and Wenzel Rommel, we were not really doing the skateboard competition stuff for the sake of becoming rich and famous. 
we, I was not seeking, um, seeking that. I was just trying to have fun. And I have managed to get the, some of that, a little bit of that quote unquote celebrity status. And I, I say that because of that, I quote unquote work it for the whales. Unfortunately, since the film's release, a number of the Z boys have passed away. Bob Biniak died in 2010, Chris Cahill in 2011, and Jay Adams and Shogo Kubo in 2014. Everyone else, aside from Stacy, still hangs out and are still friends to this day. I see everybody all the time. The only person we don't see is Stacy. He's the guy that withdrew, and he was, you know, unhappy for a while. And but I think he's mellowed out now too. I'm like, I saw him at Jay's funeral, and everything was pretty good. So I think Stacy's cooling out, which is good. But he he's moved way out of town. He lives up north now. So you know, we don't you don't see him. I, I see Alan all the time. I see Peggy all the time. I uh, talk to Wenzel all the time. Those, you know, they're around a lot. So if you find yourself in Dogtown, chances are you might walk past one of the original Z-Boys out catching some waves or having some coffee at Dogtown Coffee in Santa Monica. And while the movie may not have been as big a hit as many had hoped, the legacy of the Z-Boys will live on in the skating world forever. The Replay, Sports on the Big Screen, is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to our lead producer, Chris Tyler, our sound designer, Robert Moore, and SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. SiriusXM Podcasts.